everybody. This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Legislative District Candidate Series. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we talk with Ivan Lewis. He is a Democrat running for state representative in Washington's 39th Legislative District in Position 1, and he received a rare endorsement by the Everett Herald as a Democrat in advance of August 7th's primary. Ivan Lewis, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, first, just tell us a little bit about your district. Uh, The 39th is in northwestern Washington, and it includes most of Snohomish and Skagit counties and parts of King County. Uh, This is a district that usually leans heavily Republican, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a... It would be considered uh, a, a, a very conservative district by most uh, standards, a uh, long history of electing uh, Republican representatives and senators. Um, you know, the thing the thing about the 39th uh, – so I, yeah, I live in Sultan, Washington, um, down here on Highway 2. And, and uh, part of the reason I live out in Sultan is that I, I want a little land and I want a uh, little privacy – and I, I don't really want, uh, you know, on a Saturday morning to have uh, uh, a bunch of political candidates running around my neighborhood knocking on doors. <laughs> Part of the reason I live out here is uh, to have that rural privacy and that, uh, that ability to have a little, uh, little hobby farm and to do my thing. And that's by and far what all of my neighbors want. Um, you know, whether or not you're from uh, that far tip up there in Skagit and Marble Mount, or whether or not you're down here in that King County piece in Skycomish, or in between in Monroe, Arlington, Cedar Woolley, the rural community of having that land and having um, that opportunity to really be who we are and what we do uh, is, is really important to voters. But that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that we still need um, a healthcare system that works for all of us and doesn't put people uh, into bankruptcy. And we still need uh, we still need roads that get us from point A to point B safely and effectively without doubling or tripling our commute times. And we still need um, access to these resources that. Um, uh, that help us build our economy and run our businesses? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we, I do want to discuss your policy positions in just a second. But, of course, the reason why I'm asking about the demographic makeup of your district politically is that it's very rare for uh, a paper like uh, the Everett Herald to give an endorsement to a Democrat, as I said. Uh, and so I'll just give a little backstory. So one of your Republican opponents in the primary, Randy Hayden, uh, was the one that the Herald had planned on endorsing. Uh, and then he was discovered to have made disparaging comments on social media about Muslims, about uh, American Indians, African Americans, and members members of the LGBTQ community. And there was another Republican in your race, Robert Sutherland, uh, but the Herald wound up giving you the endorsement saying, quote, we believe that Lewis will fairly and respectfully represent his district. So I'll just ask you, were you surprised when they gave you the endorsement? I, I was. Um, I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't actually, to be honest, I wasn't surprised that they didn't um, endorse Sutherland. I was surprised that they ch- didn't just choose to make no recommendation, that they chose to, to not just leave it. Um, for them to make the endorsement of, of my campaign, it really strikes at the change from this, this perception of, of ideological representation to um, true representation. Uh, I think that, uh, that what we saw with the Herald was an example of, uh, of that shift where we're going, you know, what's best for the 39th is for the people of the 39th to be put first, and apparently they thought that they were willing to that they were willing to go out on the limb on a Democrat 
based on uh, on my my strong belief that people should come first. So no, I was I was very surprised that they didn't just make a no endorsement, but uh, also very honored to see that happen. Well, everything you're saying uh, and the endorsement as well must have struck a chord with people because during the primary you received almost forty six percent of the vote, and that was well ahead of your two Republican rivals. And I'm wondering, was that surprising to you? Yeah. It, it wasn't necessarily surprising um, in the sense that we we thought that we would be able to to, to do very well um, with the strong message of, of uh, and the strong belief that families come first and people come first in this community. Um, we knew we would do well uh, to do forty five um, percent. Uh, means not just that we did well over my opponents, uh, but uh, comparatively to Democrats in this district in years past, this is um, a, a very strong. Uh, primary number for a Democrat to come to come into the 39th. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Um, so let's go ahead and do talk just briefly about some of your policy positions. Um, first, I know that you would like to address our state's regressive tax system. And as everybody listening knows, we do not have a state income tax. So how do you propose making our tax system more equitable? Yeah. Th- thanks for the question. The, the piecemeal approach we take to um, to taxing in Washington uh, comes from, I believe, uh, a hundred years of of limited options. Um, and when we need to expand our scope of taxing, we uh, have some very limited pools that we get to turn to. And uh, and as a result of that, uh, we've come to an environment where there are a lot of hidden taxes, taxes that are um, that are placed on uh, on the on the wholesaling distribution um, levels beyond the retail, so uh, it's very hard for us as consumers um, and as and as Washingtonians to really see what our overall tax burden is. So that's a, a, a big piece of this. So so really. Uh, being very transparent in our taxing system, I think, is a, is a huge piece of that. Well, so how would you go about doing that? I mean, as you say, we in this state are taxed uh, in all sorts of ways that we're maybe not even aware of. So how do you make that more transparent? Well, one of the ways we do that is to is to, uh, is to scale back um, on the corporate side, to scale back corporate loopholes uh, so that there is an, a cleaner tax code when we're looking at what it is that businesses pay and what kind of exceptions they receive or, or uh, uh, deductions they receive or bonuses they receive or perks they receive for providing economy to Washington State. Another way we do that is by shifting some of our more regressive or should I say more appropriately replacing um, our regressive taxing systems with more progressive taxing systems. Um, so uh, we talk about the possibility of adding in um, a, uh, as an example, adding in a, a capital gains tax next year. And one of the one of the conversations that we have in terms of the capital gains is that we could use that to help relieve some of the increased cost of property taxes. A concern that I have, and a concern that my that my constituents certainly have, my neighbors have is that when we create additional taxing mechanisms that do not replace outright another taxing mechanism, the fear is that that will lead to more of this piecemeal taxing approach. And so and so I believe it's very important that when we consider uh, anything that, that moves towards a more progressive taxing system, that it be through the lens of replacing regressive taxes um, uh, and uh, with with ones that are more progressive, like like the capital gains tax. You are also looking to improve access to health care. And then you say you also want to be focusing on addiction issues in your district and across the state. Talk about the impact of uh, addiction where you live. 
It's a it's a huge concern for us um, in this in the 39th in the state of Washington as a whole, of course. Um, but uh, the 39th sees a great deal of of, uh, of addiction related um, uh, healthcare side concerns, and, and I I feel that um, we talk about addiction far too often through the lens of criminal justice. Uh, and not through the lens of healthcare, and and to me that's the first step. We we must um, shift the way that we view uh, this crisis uh, to one of healthcare and and delivery of healthcare services. Uh, so treatment focused is what you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the robustness of the treatment focus. It has to be. It has to be a, a robust access to preventative care. Um, it has to be a, a robust access to mental health services. It has to be a robust access to beds. And when and when people are ready to have um, the next step, uh, a robust access to maintenance therapy. Uh, without the access to that process, uh, we continue to see um, we continue to see this this ever rising crisis uh, with no end in sight because there's no there's no way for us to. Uh, there's no way for us to, to, to prosecute our way out of this. Um, we have to focus on, on, getting, on getting people the resources they need. Before I let you go, um, I just have to ask you, because you have worked as a volunteer firefighter and an EMT, uh, as we all know, air quality is currently just terrible in this state due to the many wildfires in the region. Uh, climate scientists are saying that they expect this to be the new normal each summer now uh, due to climate change. And because of your background uh, and because I know that you have some things to say about uh, climate change and you may be going to Olympia as a legislator, what does this all bring up for you? It brings up a, a systemic, a systemic reality, a, a, a generational moral crisis that we have put ourselves in an environment where it is very hard for us um, to focus on the things that need to be focused on uh, in terms of environment and in terms of um, of expanding infrastructure and, and and those things when when there's so many within the family issues that are happening. So let me be more specific. So having access to universal health care, having access to health care that has absolutely no cost. When you take that off the table, when you take away the concern for a family of whether or not they can make the copay or whether or not they can afford to go to the doctor, they're able to shift their priority to the next step. And that next step could be on ensuring education or ensuring that there's a broader um, protection for uh, for uh, kids in the community, whatever that may be. But at some point, the priority gets shifted to environment. And one of my big concerns is that it's very hard for families to prioritize the things we really need to do right now, the, the immediate fixes to ensuring that we have um, an investment in our future when it comes to our environment, while there are so many immediate crises affecting us. So you're saying basically that it's, it's a matter of priorities for people. Uh, absolutely. If we, can, if we can make sure that everyone has access to universal health care and we can make sure that there is a reduction in, in, um, in suicides and gun deaths and make sure that there's um, improvements in our infrastructure and education system, those steps make it much easier for people to say, holy cow, we have 
an absolute crisis that needs to be done, something needs to be done about it, and we need to do it right now. And with, with air quality, circling back to the original question you had, uh, I, uh, I really appreciate the hard work that, uh, that our crews are doing all over the state, all over the country, trying to um, contain this as quickly as possible. But uh, I, I fear we're going to see more and more of this year after year until we can really address the big picture of climate change in terms of, of what needs to be done in Washington state and across the country. And you do support a transition to a green economy where possible, right? Absolutely. Again, people first is my priority. So um, I'm very cognitive of the fact that there is no immediate transition to renewables. Right now, tomorrow, there's no switch that we can flip that says we're done, we're done using oil. Now we're going to go all renewable. Uh, so I, I recognize that there's steps that have to be made. But until we can prioritize those steps above all else, until we can, we can compete with that industry and, and make that um, the priority, either through um, through stick or carrot, you know, incentive or disincentive, it doesn't matter which it is. We have to find a way to ensure that that is the the most effective way for us to move forward. Yeah. Well, I will just mention in closing that you are talking with a large number of activists and volunteers through this show. So, what do you need help with in your campaign? Well, we we're a very, very, very large district, so um, getting out and talking to voters can be very challenging. So we do a lot of uh, a lot of direct mail. Uh, we do a lot of phone banking. So um, uh, we have lots of opportunities for um, for help in that regard. So you can find more information about uh, uh, my campaign uh, at, uh, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/slash/elect/ivan-lewis i-v-a-n-l-e-w-s. Uh, or uh, our website, uh, www.electivanlewis, again, I-V-A-N-L-E-W-I-S.com. Uh, and uh, we're always looking for, uh, we're looking for folks to, to, to chat with us. You can reach out to me, uh, the contact page on the, on the, uh, the website. Uh, you can make contribution directly off the website. And uh, uh, we'd love to have, uh, have folks um, help in the way they'd like to. Well, Ivan Lewis, uh, it's been great talking to you. And I just want to say again, congratulations on your primary victory and also uh, best of luck in November, man. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for this edition of the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Legislative District Candidate Series. The show is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.